I want to share a message that the Lord placed upon my heart and all of you who are here in the sanctuary. Glad you're here. I know we were planning on having an outdoor service, but I'm glad you're here amidst all of the rain, those in our extended sanctuary, those who are in our overflow room, and those of you that are joining right now online. I want to speak about something that the Holy Spirit just awakened in my heart to place upon your ears, and I trust will descend into your heart as well. And that is about the keeping power of God, God's keeping power, how he will watch over you, guard you, protect you, how he is for you and loves you and will always pursue you. God's wonderful, incredible keeping power. I'd like to draw your attention to a portion of scripture that is found in 1 Peter in chapter 1 in verses 3 through 5. It says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God. Let me say that again. Who are kept, held together, secure, safe, protected, guarded, kept by the power of God. And then another portion of scripture that just underscores that reality is expressed by Jude in his epistle in verse 24. Now to him, the Lord, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, to him who is able to keep you, to keep you from stumbling. Jesus expressed it this way. It's found in John chapter 10 and verse 28 when he speaks about the fact that you are in his hand. And he says this, and it's really an image and a picture from Isaiah 49 when it says you've been inscribed in the hand of God inscribed in the hand of God. And Jesus said, I hold you in my hand. And then he goes on to say that the Father holds you in his hand. That means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hold you in their hand. What a safe place. What a secure place. What a place of tremendous stability in your life and in mine. To be in the hand of God to be in the hand of Christ. And he actually says there in John 10 that no one and nothing, no set of circumstances can ever pluck you out, take you out of his hand. What a safe environment. Nothing, no one, no set of circumstances, no problem, difficulty, or dilemma, no persecution or problem can pull you out of the hand of God. The keeping power of Almighty God. Now, Holy Scripture does give us a warning, though, in the context of this incredible and inspiring truth. It warns us, and theologians will basically articulate it this way, by saying that no, nothing, no one, 
And no set of circumstances, no individual, no problem or dilemma can pull you out of the safe hand of God, but you can make a volitional choice to jump out of his hand, to move away from him. And Holy Scripture gives us some sober warnings. You can find them actually in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, and John chapter 6. Now, this is not a teaching on 666, but it is a warning. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, there are those, that is, those that are believers that have strayed from the faith. Now, for everyone here, take that as a serious warning. Yes, you're safe and you're secure in the keeping power of God. You're in the hand of Christ. And he's going to protect you, and he's going to protect me. He's going to guard us. But remember, that will never abort the reality of you having freedom to choose. His lordship does not dismiss liberty in your life to make a choice. And so there were those who decided to stray, to wander from their faith. In Hebrews 6, it says that there are those who fall away, who fall away from their faith. And then in John chapter 6, Jesus had given some challenges in the context of his teaching. And as a result, it says that some of his disciples decided to no longer walk with him. Decided to no longer walk with him. And so, yes, there has to be a warning over my soul and yours that we need to hear and embrace and be sobered by so that we would say, Lord, I do not want to ever stray away. I don't want to fall away, and I will never walk away. I will never jump out of your hand. I set myself to be always connected to you, married to you, in covenant with you. I will not. And I hope you say that right now in your heart. Those of you that are listening at home, say that in your heart. Maybe some of you want to say it actually out loud. I will not stray away. I will not fall away. And I will not walk away from my Lord. I'm going to stay in his hand. And his power will keep me. It will keep me. His lordship is not tyranny. His ownership is not possession. His dominion is not domination or despotism. We are in connection with God, but he gives us the free moral choice every day to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to unite my will with your will because his love over your life is not tyranny or possession or domination. His love over your life is the reality that he awakens your will to engage with his and to follow him. I remember years ago when the Lord spoke to my heart and said, Gary, our commitment to one another in this covenant, our commitment relationally to one another is not a chain, it's a choice. It's not a chain, it's a choice. And I want you to choose me every day as I've chosen you. When we engage the beauty of our will, I know that God then helps us. He will hold us, but he doesn't control us. God holds you, but he doesn't control you. His grip 
uniquely, paradoxically, is an open grip. Oh, you're safe and you're secure, you're stable as you stay in his hand. But it's an open grip. And it's a place where we have to say, I'm not going to stray away from you, Lord. I'm going to purpose with intentionality, determination, tenacity to keep on pursuing you, focused on you, that I will give you my eye. I will keep my eye as we lifted in that song, the lyrics. I'm going to keep my eye on you as I'm kept in your power, your keeping power. Now, I think there's certain things that can contribute to us wanting to leap out of his hand, move away from his hand. There's certain temptations that can come our way, certain enticements that can try to draw our attention and our eye and our heart and our affections away from him. And sometimes that milieu is a unique environment, and I'm going to just identify three. The first is when you're in a place of brokenness, you can be very vulnerable. When you're in a place of brokenness, in other words, you're rooted in confusion, perplexity, you're discombobulated, you are all over the place, you feel split, separated, fragmented, you're so perplexed about what's happening in the context of your life as you investigate within your own heart or interpersonally with others or vertically with God. And there's a jungle of question marks, and you're wondering, what is going on? I feel broken. I feel separated, split, divided, and fragmented. You're vulnerable at that moment. And sometimes at that moment, we want to get out of the hand of God. We want to move away from him in that place of confusion. But there's a picture that's given to us, and I'm going to invite you to kind of take a little bit of a different take on it. And I'm not going to take liberty by denying that it actually happened, of course, when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish. But there's a symbolic, but I believe a practical application of what occurred there. It's recorded in John chapter 6, and we all know the story. And after Jesus had commanded that everyone would be seated and the loaves and the fish would be brought to him and they were multiplied, he knew that that was something that God had given to him. Now, I want you to follow with me. God had given to him, and then he distributed to others. And then the second command is this. He says, now go collect all the fragments. Now, follow me. He said, go collect all the divided pieces, all the fragments. Collect all of them. Place them in a basket. Bring them before me so that they might not be lost. Now, if you read the text, you have to kind of step back and say, why did he select that term? You would think by inference, he means, you know, collect all the fragments so there's no waste. And this can be a declaration of God's abundance. I mean, not only were 5,000 men and probably in addition another 7,000 women and children, so it was probably well beyond ten to 12,000 individuals. Not only were they all fed and full and satisfied, but he wants to mark the moment by showing there was an abundance, so fill the baskets. But I believe there was a bigger message, a bigger story, a stronger declaration that he was making. Because he said, lest these fragments be lost. The Greek word actually means perish. Be destroyed. 
The imagery that should surface in your mind is when we talk about a person who doesn't know Christ, they're lost. And they need to be delivered. They need to be saved because they're perishing. See, there was an image that Christ was communicating there of saying, I believe to all of us, he will pursue you when you feel fragmented, split, separated, and broken. He doesn't want you lost, perishing. He will pursue you. And actually, if you wonder about that, he says in John chapter 6, verse 38, whatever the Father has given to me, I will not lose. The very same chapter, verse 38, whatever the Father has given to me, I will not lose it. And if you think of it here, the picture is all this broken bread. He said, it's not going to be lost. You collect it. So maybe for you, the application, maybe you're in a place of brokenness. You're really perplexed and confused. You might not articulate that to others because they might question your spirituality, but deep in your heart, you feel confused and bewildered and befuddled. And you might have a lot of question marks. But in that brokenness, hear me, Jesus will pursue you. He will pursue you. And he's going to make sure you're collected and put in a basket of love and brought right to him. You can place your hope in his keeping power, even in the midst of your brokenness. I know in my own life, in seasons when I feel vulnerable because of being broken in an area and perplexed and confused and bewildered, I thank God that Jesus goes after me. He pursues me because I never, ever want to get out of his hand. There's a second environment that sometimes we can find ourselves in, and that's independence. Another picture is given to us in John chapter 6 of that reality, independence. You see, after Jesus performed this incredible miracle of multiplying the loaves and the fish, he decided to go up into the mountain to pray because the people were coming around him and saying, hey, we want to make you an earthly king. And he knew, no, no, I'm not to be crowned by this kingdom. I'm part of another kingdom. And so he went to the mountain to pray. His disciples, the scripture indicates in John 6, waited and waited and waited. And the evening started to descend. It started to get dark. And they decided to go rogue, independent. This was uncommon, They would always wait for the master to come. But the scripture actually says that Jesus did not show up, so they decided to get in the boat and go on their way. His disciples, they were located in Tiberias. That's right near the Sea of Galilee. And they get into a boat to head north to Capernaum. That on the Sea of Galilee, that was probably about eight miles because Galilee itself in length is about 13 miles. So they were heading that direction. It says strong winds began to overtake them. And I think by imagery, we could think of the winds of adversity and difficulty, because sometimes when we go independent because of impatience, that we run into a lot of strong winds. I know that path can happen in my life. Has it ever happened in yours? 
when God's timing is a little different than yours or a set of circumstances that are unfolding and it's just not moving at the pace you want with your personal clock and you become a bit impatient, believe me, impatience will put your feet on the path of independence and you'll become self-reliant. And that's dangerous for the believer. I know our society will mark maturity by how independent you can become, but Holy Scripture defines spiritual maturity as how dependent you become on God. And we always want to be dependent on him. We always want to stay in his hand. But when we decide to become impatient with his process and then independent, and independent is really the root of it is pride because pride says, I'm in control. I'm in control. And so when they embarked on that journey, they did it independent of Jesus. And they run into these winds, and it says they only were able to travel maybe three to four miles, so they were about halfway there. And they just couldn't advance forward. They were rowing, but Jesus was praying. They were rowing, striving, but he was praying. He's empowered then to walk on the water. That's something supernatural. Have you ever done that? I've tried it a few times in my quiet time when I'm all alone by a lake and I say, Lord, I'm going to come out to you and it hasn't quite worked yet. But he walks on the water. Now, here's what's interesting in this moment of their independence. They see him, they become fearful. They become cognizant of the fact that he was absent and he wasn't in the boat. And they were running into a lot of problems as a result of that. But he just didn't get into the boat. He didn't superimpose his will. It says they willingly then let him into the boat. That's very important. They volitionally, they engaged their will and extended an invitation and said, please come into my boat. So what, what is the Lord saying in that about his keeping power? He'll pursue you even when you go independent. He'll keep coming after you. Now, don't become presumptuous with that reality. Rejoice and be inspired. Be encouraged. He'll pursue you supernaturally. And then the beautiful picture is the moment they, in their will, so you've got to say, Jesus, please come into my boat. I've gone independent. I was impatient. I didn't like the process. I decided to figure out with my own logic, my own reasoning, my own analytical thinking, and my own personal judgments and, and, and all the different circumstances. Just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together myself. I went independent, a reflection of my pride. Please, I willingly invite you to come back into my boat. And here's the beauty. The moment he got into the boat, it says they instantaneously arrived. That means there were another four miles they had to travel, but they did it supernaturally. They weren't rowing. God did it. So it says he's redemptive. Even when you and I blow it and we know our destination and we thought we would get there by rowing in a boat, Jesus comes, we invite him back in, and we miraculously arrive at that destination. That's the keeping power of God for you and me. There's one last area that I think we can battle with, that we can feel the invitation to jump out of his hand. And it may not be brokenness or independence, but it's when you begin to feel 
despair starts squeezing in. Can any of you here relate to that? Anyone listening, maybe online? Despair is the progressive absence of hope when you feel hope is on the decline. Your expectations aren't being met. You're wondering what's about to happen. And you feel you're starting to get smothered by despair. When you think of the disciples, Mary Magdalene, when Jesus had died, it says in the Gospel of John, now not John chapter 6, but John chapter 20, that, of course, he was in the tomb. There was the presence of despair. There was the loss of hope. When that happens in your life or my life, watch, be careful. You can be enticed to subtly begin to stray from your faith, fall away from your faith, walk away from Christ. Despair can be a lethal injection into your relationship with God. So what happens with a Mary Magdalene, though, at the moment when she was in despair? Remember, as Pastor Matt alluded to, the prophetic word for this year is that we would, yes, we would hear something we've never heard before, to do something we've never done before, to see something we've never seen before. In that moment of despair, Mary Magdalene does something completely different than what Peter and John did. When she discovers the tomb is empty, she goes to Peter and John, runs to them, They come running. They look in. And it says that they believe, but this was not a belief of his resurrection. It said that they believed he was gone. And you know what? Here's what it says. Listen to this. Peter, the great apostle Peter, John, the great apostle John, after investigating the tomb, discovering the body's gone, it says, and they went home. How anticlimactic. Oh, you, what did you, did you go home and have a, a burger and watch some TV? What's going on? But Mary, it says, stayed, stood, and wept. That's real important. I find when despair is trying to grip me and it's starting to put its claws into me, the worst thing I could do is just run away and go to the familiar. I've got to stay right in the midst of it. I've got to stand, stay in his hand. I've got to stay and stand and then come in tune with where I'm at. I'm weeping. And then you know what will happen? Like it did for Mary. She heard something she had never heard before. Because the scripture says in the narrative in John chapter 20, He's not here. Why are you weeping? She hears that. And then she does something that she probably have never done before, not just stand and stay and weep, but it's at an empty tomb. She may have done that with other loved ones in her life, stood at a tomb, but the body was there. But this was unusual. So she was doing something she had never done before. Staying in a place of despair, the tomb's empty. And then what happens? She sees something she had never seen before. 
the resurrected Christ. In the Gospel of Mark, it says she's the first, first set of eyes to see the resurrected Christ. In the midst of your despair, he'll show up. Just give a listening ear. Stand and stay and listen, and you're going to hear something you've never heard. And as you do something you've never done, you're going to see something you've never seen before. His resurrection power will enter into that situation. And your despair will be gone and a new hope will fill your soul. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you, if you would, just close your eyes and just open your spiritual eyes, though. We're going to sing this song that says, I'm going to keep my eyes upon you. That's our responsibility. And God has declared, my keeping power is going to hold you together. My keeping power. For those of you that are believers, would you just in your heart with your eyes closed, just say, Lord, I'm not going to stray away in my faith. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to acknowledge your lordship over me. And I'm going to make the choice to stay in your hand. I'm inscribed in your hand. And you're holding me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when brokenness happens, I believe you prepared a basket of love to bring me back in. When independence happens, I believe you're going to get into the boat if I wouldn't ask you. And you'll redeem it. And I'll reach my destination a whole lot faster. And when I'm in despair, I'm going to stand and I'm going to stay. I'm going to weep, but I'm going to listen. Maybe you're listening right now and you've never received Jesus into your heart to be your Savior and your Lord. Maybe you're here in the sanctuary. Maybe you're watching online. Jesus is waiting for you to invite him into the boat of your life. Just pray this prayer with me. Say it with your whole heart, Jesus. Come into my heart, come into my boat, come into my life. I repent of my sins, I turn from them and I turn to you. And I receive your gift of abundant life, a life that is filled with purpose. And I, I, I receive your gift of eternal life to live with you forever. I receive your gift of forgiveness for I call you my Savior, the forgiver of my sins. And I call you Lord, the supreme leader of my life. And I will follow you all my life. And now may the blessing of God touch every life that's received Christ and all those that are believers. You can have that deep assurance of God's keeping 